Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray and my new friend, Tommy Miller. Welcome back, Tommy. Thanks for having me, Paul. It's an honor. Thanks so much for having me back. Thank you. And for those of you who listened last week, you're going to be excited about this time together. And if you didn't listen last week, boy, I encourage you to go back. And uh, it's always fun for me to meet new people in any setting. I just enjoy people. But to meet somebody who's like-hearted, like-minded, who's uh, growing in grace, who's becoming more and more uh, understanding of God's unconditional love and the fatherhood of God and and the finished work of Jesus and grace and inclusion for everybody. And uh, that surely seems to fit Tommy. And so thanks for coming back and sharing more of that with us. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor. Tommy, like me, is a pastor of a local church, although most of the people in my community in Lawrence, Kansas, of our community of 100,000 people just outside of Kansas City, well, I, I can guarantee you most religious people would say that ain't church. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us the difference, Tommy. You were a pastor before you started on this journey. You're still a pastor. Tell us how things have changed at your church and uh, what it's like now. Sure. Sure. I'd be happy to. So one of the things that I'm finding is uh, we grace folks are, are kind of famous for throwing babies out with bathwater. You know, we, we take our Bibles and we kind of hold it in accusation because we read it wrong for so many years. So we take the Bible, and we toss it out. We don't need that thing because it's legalistic and it's demanding and it's oppressive. And that's not the truth. We were just not rightly dividing the word of truth. Right. It's, it's life from beginning to end, if you understand it the right way. So yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, it's it's pregnant. It's divine. It's living. I absolutely love it. So I believe that we've done the same thing with church. And I'm sure you've seen the same experience. You know, my experience with church is that there's a genius with a thousand idiot helpers. You know, there's the guy behind the, the pulpit that knows everything. And then there's all of the people that have to do what he says, right? And that has been the pastoral model forever. So, so our intention is that was oppressive. It hurt me. So I'm going to throw out the entire model. And we do, we do that with the Bible. We do that with sacraments. We do that with communion. We do that with everything that was clearly held dear in the first century. You know, when Paul converted a Jew, he reasoned with them the law and the prophets. So he was able to rightly show them what the law and the prophets were trying to say in light of grace in Jesus. So all that to say this, I, I really have a, a burning desire to have a local community of believers that can keep healthy structure. And I use that term loosely and I'll explain it shortly, but have infinite honor and valuable for one another, regardless of position, title, calling, anointing, whatever it might be. The language that we've developed, and I think this will be wildly helpful, is Paul said that he knew a man, he didn't know if he was in the body or out of the body, that was taken to the third heaven. And uh, there, in the third heaven, things were being expressed that he couldn't repeat on earth. So we've used that system 
to put some language and make sense of or rightly divide some principles. So we would call the first heaven something or a place a realm that is natural and created. So that would be like the body that you're in or the desk that you're sitting at. We would call the second heaven things that are temporary, created, but unseen. And that's where mind, will, emotions, soulish things come into play. And that is also where gifts, callings, and anointings come from. Because those things are in Ephesians chapter 4 as an instrument that God uses to bring us to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what it says. The word measure means it actually has to be quantifiable. So that means that when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he wasn't speaking in parables. He was literally saying, I'm the visible representation of the Godhead. And that's his intention that you and I would be able to say the same thing with the same evidence. That's Romans 8. All creation is crying out in birth pangs for the manifestation of the sons of God, meaning the visible manifestation of the sons of God. So the way he says that comes to pass, obvious, it's through our faith and rest. But the way that that is nurtured is through local church community. As oppressive and as misused as it's been in the past, we have to see what God's intention for it was. Now, here's what I believe changes all of our experience. So the second heaven, gifts, callings, and anointings. My favorite part of, of Ephesians 4 is that it uses the word until. It says that he gave apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to equip the saints of the work of ministry until. If it has the word until, that means it has an expiration date. If it has an expiration date, that means it's not eternal. We need to get rid of those things, but in right order. Okay, so the third heaven is the unseen but uncreated realm in God himself. So this is the revelation that changed me forever was in Psalm 139. It says that I was written in your book. You saw my unformed parts before I had any days. So you and I were literally in Christ before the foundation of the world. So there can't be anything wrong with us. We're made out of divinity. I kind of like how John almost tongue in cheek combats Matthew with his lineage. You know, Matthew's recording the historical lineage of Jesus like a good scholar. And then John says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And now the word is flesh. Like, yeah. it's, it's almost like his revelatory response. But in reality, the same thing can be said about you, Paul. In the beginning, you were in the word because without him, nothing was made that was made. So that means you're a manifestation of him. So if you and I are at Mount Zion, the city of the living God, which the author of Hebrews says in 12, then you and I are spirits of just men made perfect. We are in Christ. We are the measure of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So if that is the foundation, then any position that we take, um, whether it be gifts, callings, anointings, or in the natural gender, has to be founded on the understanding that we're all one, we're co-equal in power, we're co-equal in authority, we're co-equal in importance to God. And if we have to use those second heaven expressions in order to make a structure work, that's fine. Because you have to use those first heaven expressions to make a marriage work. You know, just because in Christ there is neither male nor female doesn't mean that you can conceive children any easier based on that revelation. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Where it gets oppressive is where gifts, callings, anointings, and offices become the end-all, be-all. You know, you, Paul, are a son of God that steps into a five-fold office to bring all other people into sonship. 
And that's not your identity. That's not who you are. You're a son. I'm a son. Everybody you teach is a son also. So as long as we're founded on the understanding that we're all sons and that we have expressions in our callings and offices and we have expressions in our gender, then that's when things like marriage and things like church don't get oppressive. Yeah. And then the expression in the local church community, we have this phenomenon that happens when people come visit. If we have a guest speaker that comes, it doesn't matter what they preach on or where they come from, they leave with a revelation of kingdom, authentic church community, and life and grace. We don't teach it to them. It happens when they cross our threshold, and then they leave, and then they call us, and they say, I don't know what happened to me while I was there, but everything changed. Like, the trees are greener, the sky is bluer, like, things are just better. But we function as a family. And because we are a family, that's how kingdom covenant works. Then this hierarchical structure is done away with. The language that we use to explain it when we're teaching it, when we're creating this culture is that all corporate alignments are counterfeit. All corporate alignments are counterfeit. There are no corporate alignments in the Bible. All corporate alignments in the Bible were rebuked. You know, I'm of a Paul, I'm of Apollos, or hey, those guys are casting out demons. They're not with us. And he said, I don't know what spirit you're of. But what you do see is relational alignments where Paul refers to Timothy as his true son in the Lord. If the people that you're responsible to teach are your sons and daughters and not your subjects, then you don't get rid of them. You don't punish them. You don't pull them down for not adhering to your ministry creed. You know, you can't kick your kids out of your house because they're bad. You're responsible for their training. You're responsible for impartation and, and loving them like a loving father. Hebrews 11 talks about the chastening of God. It says that you're not a legitimate son if you're not chastised. And chastening is, is for the improvement or for the manifestation of the son, not to make aware of their error and make them feel bad for it. So there, there's some super practical things, but I feel like I've kind of journeyed on for a little bit. So I'd... Uh, I'd have your input or some questions so I know where to go. (laughs) (laughs) No, gosh, that's wonderful. So I I would assume this is a a work in progress that you didn't come to that conclusion all at once. And but over time, as God has revealed things to you, you've made changes. Is that a correct assumption? It is. We have a slogan. You've been in contemporary churches. You have a mission statement. You have a value statement. You have a weekend statement. You have a week. You have all these statements. We've narrowed all that down to heaven here, heaven now. And the reason we've narrowed it down to that is because we see a prophetic pattern that every time that humans did something on earth, according to heaven's pattern, God transcended it. So the garden being a visible manifestation of the garden of God, God dwelled in the garden. When Moses built the tabernacle the way that God told him to, according to the pattern shown him in heaven, God came and lived there. When Jesus was born as the original divine human being, God lived in him. And when you and I were made on earth as we are in heaven, he lived in us. So my philosophy has always been, if I can make my marriage on earth as it is in heaven, then God will come live in it. And if I can create a church community that is on earth as it is in heaven, not corporate alignments and rules and structures and hierarchies, but a family of people that are united in a concerted effort to bring the reality of heaven to earth, then God will bless it. He'll transcend it. So that's how we weigh everything. You know, is this how God would treat somebody? Is this how this conversation would take place if we were in Zion? And then we try to align even the most minuscule of our actions, like dinner together, according to the the freedom and rest that's in heaven. Wow, that's wonderful. So would you describe heaven then as freedom and rest? Is that a good definition? 
I, th- I think that would be all right. I certainly know that it's not a weird ethereal existence with angels playing harps. <laughs> I think it's a whole lot. Yeah, I, I just it's it's God's nature expressed. Yeah, as a musician, I always loved that old Far Side story that it was a cartoon thing with half of the thing on the left and half on the right. One on the left was, you know, welcome to heaven, here's your harp. And the one on the right was welcome to hell, here's your banjo or accordion or whatever instrument is weird to you. (laughs) Those are about as ill-conceived ideas as any of the others that we've had. (laughs) Absolutely. I have 15 guitars to my left right now. If I could turn my camera, I'd show them to you, but you're talking to a fellow musician. Got a Martin? I don't have a Martin. I have one acoustic. It's a Gibson. It's a Gibson LC1 Cascade. But I've got 13 electrics and two basses and one acoustic over there. Wow. So you obviously still play. All the time. Yeah. Well, if I turn my camera around, you'd see my trombone. I'm getting ready to go play this evening with a jazz group. Do you know the term sympathetic vibration? I absolutely do. Man, to me, that's exactly when somebody hears the truth, the Holy Spirit in them resonates with what they're hearing. And it's just like sympathetic vibration with a couple of guitars together. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to articulate that. You might be able to identify with this, but when I first got this revelation, I was embarrassed. So I was terrified of what 99% of the Western population would think because I couldn't preach anything else. And much to my chagrin, the response that I got was, I always knew something was wrong, but I've never been able to put it right. And that's what makes sense. What you're saying finally makes sense. I had an ex-Amish guy. I sat down and I unloaded on this poor guy in an hour, in an hour. We talked grace. We talked legalism. We talked hell. We talked everything. And I said, are you okay? And he said, this is the first time I'm not embarrassed to be a Christian. Wow. (laughs) Yep. Sympathetic vibration. Wow. I have a friend who's in jail because he likes to be there. He's blind and very vulnerable and homeless. Our city has actually created a law specifically for him, a no camping ordinance in the downtown area because he just slept on a sidewalk. And so he'll he'll go to jail for six months. Uh, he'll get released and he'll go right back downtown and go to the spot he used to go to and somebody will call the police and he'll go back in. But I first, well, our church was downtown initially and I met him there and we had a medical clinic still going that we helped him and treated him. And so I'd go to visit him in jail and he just had these, he grew up in a hellfire church and he had people, uh, street corner witnesses, you know, telling him that the reason he was blind was because of his sin and he was going to hell unless he did what they said. Oh man. And so, uh, you know, I'm trying to get through to him. And, And one time I took him Baxter Kruger's little booklet called the parable of the dancing God. That's about the Luke 15, the, you know, the good Samaritan thing and uh really great explanation of it. And so I read it to this guy in jail. They would let me go into where he was without supervision and, you know, private room and stuff. And tears started coming down his cheeks. And when I got done with it, his face just lit up and he said, I knew it. I just knew that crap that I was taught wasn't true. I knew it had to be something good like this. And (laughs) uh, that's a wonderful reaction to experience, isn't it, when that happens? Yeah, I've got the converse side of that. I had a young lady under my ministry who was saved for 21 years. She wrote pastoral training curriculum. She trained pastors. And for the first two years she was with our ministry, she said internally, she always said, that sounds really nice, but you can't actually believe that. And then 
she was at work one day and everything clicked for her. And she said two things that I'll never forget. The first one was I should have realized after 21 years of my Christianity that I've never made a single convert, meaning nobody has ever desired to have the life that I was displaying. She said that should have told me first off that something was wrong. Second, Mm. she said the day that I stopped trying to be who I thought God wanted me to be, I finally became who he created me to be. And those two things I'll never forget. Wow. Yeah, she was an educator. I mean, she was, you know, going from your homeless friend who's regularly jailed to somebody with a master's degree who's a professional in education and been in ministry for 21 years, both having the same exact response to the message of grace and life. Oh, man, it is. Gosh, it is. Ah, Tommy, we're out of time. With your permission, we'll need to do this again Soon, I, I want to talk about your involvement with your local government and helping people who are up for drug sentencings and things like that. A lot of things that I want to learn. So do you have recent books that you've written <laughs> that uh, I read one of your earlier ones and, and you told me that, uh, <laughs> that some things have changed since then. You have recent books that you've written that people can get? So there is a book out there that's in process in a series. The book is on Amazon. It's called Kingdom Compendium. And realistically, it's a 20-minute read. It's just kind of an introduction to God's intention for creation. And that is a small foundational piece of a project that I'm working the rest of the parts out now, too. Again, if you join the New Creation Collective group, anything that I produce right now, I have a seven-video series called Pharisectomy, that's just an opposition to legalistic teaching or revelation of grace. That'll be made available to that New Creation Collective group first before it's made available globally. Is that a subscription group? No. As a grace believer, I was having a hard time connecting with people. I had a hard time finding resources and just felt alone a lot. So I figured if I felt that way, a bunch of other people did too. So New Creation Collective is just a Facebook group where we can share grace ideas, new creation ideas. And I run the group and I resource the group, but a lot of us just put posts up for all of us to think about. So we just go to Facebook to New Creation Collection Group. That's it. Cool. All right. Online, your church and video teachings and things, YouTube. We have a tremendous media team that works really hard to make all of our sermons and seminar content available on YouTube and Facebook. Legacy Church on Facebook and Legacy Church Ohio on YouTube. And you should be able to find whatever you're looking for there as well. Great. Wow. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and tell us about these things. And more than that, thank you for doing all of this, for not resisting the change that the Holy Spirit in you was prompting you to do some years ago and continuing to do. So uh, you're blessing lots of people. And wow, it's really cool. Thanks, Paul. It's been an honor. I love connecting with like-minded people, and I appreciate an avenue to be able to speak freely about grace. It's not easy to come by, so thank you. Well, you're certainly welcome. I encourage people to to connect with Pastor Tommy and to check out those things that we just talked about. And thank you all for being here today. We'll see you all next time on the next edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thanks, y'all. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.